welcome to Second Time Lucky. I'm Nicole. And I'm Mahi. And we will be your hosts. Throughout this podcast, we will discuss transplant, the process of organ donation, and the ins and outs of my personal heart transplant experience. Just a heads up, some of the content might be a bit triggering. While we aim to keep things quite fun, mortality and medical procedures are discussed throughout the series. Also, a course language warning because we have a tendency to swear like sailors. Sorry! We would also like to say that we are not medical professionals, so please do not seek any medical guidance from the Second Time Lucky podcast, but we do encourage a transplant dialogue. We hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. Episode 1. What led to Nicole's transplant? Part 1. Hello. (laughs) Hi. I am Mahi, and I'm here with Nicole, who... Who I have had a heart transplant in June 2018. And Mahi has not had a transplant. That is correct. <laughs> I had many, many questions. And I'm assume, assuming a lot of other people do as well. So we figured why not record all these questions yeah. and then people will know a bit more about heart transplants and hopefully transplants in general. Yeah. And let's spread awareness, destroy the stigma. Let's just get this stuff out there. So today we're going to talk about what led to the transplant. Did you want to, before we start talking about that, did you want to let everybody know what age you were when you had the transplant and what age you are now? Yeah. So um, I had my transplant in 2018 when I was 28 and now I am 31. So it's been three and a half years. And at quite a young age, quite sprightly. It was quite a young age, which actually isn't abnormal. Like, I thought, like, going into this, that being in my 20s was, like, very unusual, but I was wrong. Yeah, I was definitely with that mentality. I was like, she must be one in a million. (laughs) (laughs) Even me. This is unheard of. Call the pressure. Oh, my God. Poor me. (laughs) In my 20s. And then I went to the hospital, and, like, there were so many other people. I was like, bloody hell, I'm not special. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be special in other ways. You were great at cross-stitching at one stage. I really actually was great at cross-stitching. You're the heart transplantee that's great at cross-stitching. Right. No one can take that away from no, you. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. How did it all start, Nicole? I know. Well, I mean, all right. I'm going to do relatively short, sharp, shiny. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. I mean, I've got time, but do what feels comfortable. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, I got a heart transplant. So, like I said, I was 28 when I actually had my transplant but things kind of started relatively early on in my life there was kind of indication that something wasn't quite right with me but uh we couldn't ever really figure out what was going on so um my earliest memory was when I was sleeping at my grandparents house how old were you I was I'm gonna say like roughly 13 okay super young yeah and I was just sleeping in the same bed as my sister and I felt like my heart was going crazy and that was something that I'd never really experienced before and like my I woke my sister up and I was like I don't know what's happening to me I didn't know what panic attacks were back then or like I'd never experienced anxiety or anything like that and I said to her like get our grandparents and call mum and dad like something's wrong Anyway, my grandparents came to the room and I was fine. By the time they got there, I was okay. But my parents came home and suggested to take me to the hospital, obviously, just to make sure everything was okay. And, and at I, this stage, did you know about any 
what did your parents know about any heart conditions in the family where they're like oh shit this might be linked no to that. okay no yeah. i mean not that i know of especially back then my grandparents were healthy yeah. my parents were healthy no one in my family's died from heart conditions or even had a heart condition at that point so this was kind of brand new and I think that's why my mum was like let's just cover the bases and take it to the hospital and just make sure anyway I remember I did an ultrasound to which I now know is called um an echo um anyway did that and they said that I have a hole in my heart which is super common, honestly, literally not a big deal. Millions of people have that and does not affect them in any way. Wow, okay. Um, but they were like, you've maybe just maybe had a panic attack. Okay. But that was the day that I found out that I had, something was up, I had that little hole in my heart and I had a murmur. What's a murmur? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think to ask. <laughs> I don't know the, the proper... The proper term. Should we look it up? Yeah, look, maybe look it up. I feel like that's important information. But I do remember that they were like, you have a slight murmur. I think it's like how your heart sounds. Yeah, look, do a quick Google. Yeah, murmur of the heart. Yeah. Oh, that's a movie. A low continuous background noise in relation to your heart. Yeah, so there's like a little echo going on in the background. Ah, okay. Yeah. So... They essentially just sent me home and was like, keep doing your thing, you're fine, you'll be right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I went a few years and I was totally fine and then I started fainting. So, like, it was once every blue moon at this stage, like, I remember I'd, you know, be at home and I'd be making a tea and I'd be like, oh, shit, I'm going to faint. And I would, but I would literally get up and continue my day like it did not affect my life in any way and like it would happen at school and you know random times but like I said it did not affect me I did not know that it was my heart so I, it didn't scare me it was fine yeah you're really good at downplaying that uh Nicole and I went to school together but I remember you'd bring it up like that you had fainted like, I'd be like um why didn't you do your homework last night you'd be like because oh, I fainted I'm like oh, good excuse like <laughs> fainted but it was just like it was like a joke like it was just like me and my classic fainting and yeah was, you know, it literally was like a part of my personality it's like yeah. oh Nicole's down again like yeah, yeah. Like um but yeah like it didn't bother me though like it didn't I didn't feel bad after I didn't feel tired after I felt normal so I would just like go about my day it never seemed like a reason to panic for some reason like no oh, shit Nicole faints all the time like, no oh, shit, worried about that it was no. really normal well yeah and like, like Yanni gets blood nose all the time Nicole faints all the time like, yeah and like I remember a couple of people in our class used to faint not as often as me but they used to faint so I was like well it's a thing like yeah I think faint. I remember that as well yeah. yeah so it wasn't something that I thought of you know as being scary or that I should have gotten checked up until it started happening a little bit more frequently and so my mum was like hang on a second red flags let's just take her in to go get checked and because I was always quite tall and skinny they were like it's because she's tall if she's getting up too fast that she might faint and so they were always kind of playing it off but me and you were kind of the same height growing up and our other friend was the same height as us and so my mum was kind of like I don't I feel like that doesn't sound legit but yeah. okay so, but they said, look, if it's going to ease your mind, how about we start 
seeing a cardiologist annually. Okay. So it's not even like we're going to have these very important meetings, you know, every three months. It was like, come in, see a cardiologist, we'll do an echo, an ECG, which is just, you know, the dots that they put, the stickers that they put on your chest to check your heart rate and your rhythm and that kind of thing. And hopefully that kind of eases your mind. And if something comes up, we'll be able to see it. Yeah. So that was kind of fun for me because I used to have a day off school every year and I remember it was in November and my mum would always say like, I'll take you on a shopping spree after. And so like, I didn't care. I was like, all right, see, I'm going to the hospital. I'm not going to go to school. This is going to be amazing. Spend the day with my mum. So when that happened, my doctor, who obviously was a cardiologist, was kind of like, I think you've got this thing called Marfan syndrome, which I think kind of like the physical side effects are, or like the physical like, uh, indicators are tall people with like long fingers and who are kind of double jointed that's like a big indicator that you might have Marfan syndrome ah. and because I looked a certain way they were like but maybe that's what you have and so I remember being like 15 or 16 and getting like this pamphlet from the women's and children's hospital that was like what is Marfan syndrome? And I went home and read it, and I was like, okay, cool, we'll put that to the side and not ever read that again. So what was was Marfan syndrome? Was like the idea of it that you're like stretched out, and so things aren't flowing properly or something? So I mean, I'll get the technical term up for what it is, but it is um, it's like essentially a genetic condition that affects your heart. Um, but let me. So according to the internet. Marfan syndrome is an inherited disorder that affects the connective tissue. Um, it affects the heart, eyes, blood vessels, and bone. Okay. So, yeah. So, again, they were kind of very blasé about that. And so I was like, okay, cool. I've got this thing and easy. Cool. So they, so they told you that you had this thing, but they didn't have, like, any suggestions of, like, what to do going forward. It's just like, here's the label of your condition, but no information as to what you do about it, this condition? So it wasn't even really a label of my condition. They were like, we think you potentially have this. Yeah. I don't know if you do, but I don't know if you don't. So Google it, and here's this pamphlet, and come back next year, and I'll see how you are. Very, very blasé about the whole thing. My mum was kind of like, okay. Like, so what do I do with that? Yeah, <laughs> like, and so, like, they didn't suggest I take medication they did nothing so I was just like okay stop being so tall stop being so tall the only thing they did say was maybe playing sport could potentially trigger something if you know if something is wrong playing sport could not you know be good for it so I was playing school basketball if you remember at that I, time. Do remember, I do remember yep oh the yeah the potential <laughs> the potential that I had just wasted down the drain so I just stopped playing basketball which really bummed me out so yeah that was literally the only way that that impacted my life I had to stop playing basketball and I remember like you and all of our other friends were playing yeah but I hated PE so I was always really jealous that like whenever you tell me that your mum wrote a note that you couldn't be yeah. a PE I was like why can't my mum <laughs> good times yeah. <laughs> so yeah I feel like that was kind of the end of that chapter and then when I turned 18 because I was seeing that cardiologist at the women's and children's and so when I 
turned 18, they were kind of like, all right, well, nothing's really come about since then. So uh, good luck, have a good life, and we'll see you if anything else happens. And so I was like, okay, see you. Hope you make it. <laughs> see you on the other side. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So the problem was, when I turned 18, my fainting got, like, considerably worse. So I was working at my dad's cafe, and I remember I'd be, like, holding hot coffee, and I'd just drop. And But, again, I wasn't worried about it, so I'd get up and be like, oh, yep, shit, what was I doing? Oh, yep, table five, need to make them another coffee. Like, I did not let it affect me, and, like, I used to catch the bus home from work, and I remember, like, I was walking through the mall to get to my bus stop and I actually fainted and I think I was out for actually a while and I was in the middle of the Rundle Mall. I remember specifically I was in front of Boost Juice and I literally was like laying on my back and I woke up and there was like strangers not necessarily helping me, just kind of staring at me like, uh, (laughs) what the hell? I'm just going to step over her to get to where I need to go. And I was like, that was the first time that I was like, shit, this is actually quite scary. Me just dropping yeah. every now and then. Like, that's not cool. And it wasn't, was it also not particularly hot weather? No. Okay. So, like, nothing triggered me. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I hadn't eaten that day, so yeah. I fainted. Or it wasn't like my sugar was low and I fainted. Or, like, yeah, it was hot weather or something. There was never a trigger. Yeah. Or I could never figure out if there was a trigger. But that I remember that was the first time that I kind of went home and I said to my mum, like, there's something wrong, and I, I know this time. And I started getting, like, a little bit of anxiety about it. Um, I also had my licence then, so I was like, what if I faint while I'm driving? Or, yeah, like, that's actually terrifying. This is scary. Yeah. And I remember I went, so my friends and I went to Mildura, and I went to a nightclub there, like, the only nightclub there, <laughs> and I fainted in the middle of the dance floor. And the security guard got me by my feet and dragged me out. Because they just thought you were drunk. Because they thought, yeah, and I rem- and my friend was like, what are you doing? You know, she's not well. She faints all the time. And they were like, she's a drug addict. She's obviously a drug addict. And, like, ah. so they kicked me out of the club and I, like, I didn't even drink. Like, yeah. I, and so that, yeah, so, like, I felt ah, like. Oh, Nicole, that is so scary. Yeah, and so that was when I was kind of like, this is kind of getting scary yeah and so yeah so um this was yeah I was about 18 19 when I turned 20 my fainting spells from happening maybe you know once every blue moon when I was young to happening once you know every month when I was 18 19 to when I turned 20 sometimes I was fainting two or three times a day oh my god so that was very scary. Yeah. And my mum at this point and both of my parents were, you know, fighting for me. I would go to the hospital, mum was like, I'm not letting her leave until you figure out what's going on. This isn't normal. This isn't just a hype thing. This yeah. is something's wrong. And my mum would always say, Check her heart, check her heart and they were like, It's not her heart. She's tall. She's got heavy periods. <laughs> like that's why yeah. So, also, um, like, let's say that it was just because you were tall. Like, surely there's something. At least give an explanation. Give, give you know, something. Like, give, like, this this vitamin will, like, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it's also, like, my dad's tall. 
so like my dad's not fainting all the time so why am I fainting all the time then like our friendship group was always there was a a lot of us that were relatively tall and no one else was feeling the way that I was feeling so like it just wasn't justified yeah so cut to first of September 2010 yeah I know this day I I think a lot of people know this day unfortunately it was the day before Father's Day um I was getting ready to go out um a couple of my friends met at my house beforehand and I was like I'm just going to quickly jump in the shower come to mine hang out with my parents while I'm getting ready type of thing and thank god I the bathroom door was not locked had a shower my parents heard a thud obviously I had fainted my mum was like, all right, here we go again. She just fainted again. Let's just wait till she comes to. They opened the bathroom door and I started to change colour and I was turning blue and mum was like, nah, she's out. Like, she's gone into cardiac arrest. Yeah. My mum gave me CPR and my dad called the ambulance. I was out. Thank God my sisters weren't home. I feel like that would have been very traumatic for them. Yeah. Ambulance came. The ambulance came as my friends also arrived to my house. Um, so, yeah, they kind of dragged me into the hallway, ripped my clothes off, did the whole, you know, put the stickers on me and shocked me with the defibrillator a couple of times um, and just nothing was happening and they were going to give up. But my mum was like, don't you dare give up. Yeah. You know, having a meltdown. And eventually I got a faint heartbeat. I was taken to the hospital and the doctors said, look, I can't, don't quote me, but we think she has something called long QT syndrome. I was put into a coma. Um, I think I was in the coma for, I want to say like five days. While I was under, they put an internal defibrillator into my chest. And so essentially if this was to happen again, the defibrillator should shock me into a regular rhythm and I should be okay. When your mum gave you CPR though, were you already dead? Yes. Okay. Yeah. From right, so what happened, I've heard. That happened insanely quickly then. By the time you had hit the ground, you had likely already died. It was just kind of uh, like an instant thing. Yeah. My body just could not. I guess I don't. So I've got a couple of weeks where I don't remember before that happened. So yeah. I obviously don't even remember that. Yeah. I'm just relaying information from what I've heard. Yeah. But I've got about two weeks missing from my memory. So like, what I can only assume is I must have felt a bit funny beforehand. So I'm assuming my heart rate would have just been through the roof, and my body just couldn't keep up, and I just passed out, and my heart just gave up. But that's essentially what long QT syndrome is. So long QT syndrome is a heart rhythm disorder that can potentially cause fast chaotic heartbeats and a huge side, like a huge symptom to having long QT is fainting. And so the puzzle pieces were kind of coming together. So yeah, so I had that internal defibrillator put in. Again, they were like, we think she has long QT syndrome, but we can't really be sure because... We didn't, you know, when she came to the hospital, she didn't have that chaotic heartbeat. And while I was in hospital, I didn't have that either. So they never caught it. 
But according to my symptoms beforehand, like my fainting and all of that kind of stuff, that's what it kind of pointed to. Well, I mean, they didn't spot it because they wouldn't look at your heart. Even when no, your heart was I mean, like, look at her heart. Like, exactly. So, like, it was never detected. So that's what all, all signs pointed to long QT syndrome. So that was my official diagnosis. And so, yeah, so with that disorder, having a defib... An internal defibrillator is very common. In case I went into cardiac arrest again, that would save my life. So in case I was alone, obviously if my mum wasn't home that day, yeah. see you later. Yeah. Like, that would be the end of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was very lucky. But in saying that, I felt like I... So obviously, like, that was a huge life change. So yeah. I was 20, working... I just finished TAFE, I remember, I was going on holidays, I was seeing my friends, I was a normal 20-year-old, I mean, you and I used to hang out, we used to go out, you know, do the usual thing, and then this kind of turned everything upside down, like, I started to feel really weak, and I was in pain all the time, and just, like, tired, and didn't want to do anything, and I had to start taking medication, and so that used to make me feel really dizzy, and lightheaded, and it just really changed everything and it was also like really bad timing because everyone was turning 21 so like I was really upset because I was missing out on 21st birthday parties and like it was also like everyone started going to uni and started figuring out the course of their life and I was kind of like all right well I'm sick now and I'm just gonna be here in my mom and dad's house and trying to figure out what I'm gonna do and so yeah that was that was rough Did being sick kind of feel like your identity? Oh, 100%. Especially, like, if I walked in a room, everyone would flood to me and be like, how are you feeling? It wasn't like, hey, how are you? Yeah. Nick, nice to see you. It was like, oh, my God, how are you? Oh, my God, the eyebrows, the eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was very much like that. And, I mean, obviously, my parents and my... I I have two sisters, as you know, and I lived at home with my two sisters and my mum and dad. And... Obviously, they have my best interest at heart, but yeah, they were doing the same. Yeah. Like, it was like a very kind of depressing atmosphere. Like, I was the sick family member now. They had to take care of me. They had to kind of, like, be at my beck and call. If I was like, oh, I'm thirsty, let me just get up and get myself a drink. Mum was like, no, 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 no. I got it. Stay where you are. Do you want ice? Like, it was very, you know, suffocating. And yeah. My grandparents would call me a hundred times a day and my aunties and uncles and cousins and friends. And it's like, it's very nice to be loved, but like from being so independent and, you know, being 20 and like being so carefree to now literally one night changed everything. Yeah. So like, it was very intense. It was very like hard to deal with. And, you know, you guys were all at uni or, like, going on holidays or going out at night. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to stay home because I don't feel very well. Yeah. So I felt like, as well, I kind of got left behind. Yeah. And then also I imagine that would, like, it's not just your physical health, but your mental health would be yeah. making you not want to go outside. Oh, it's like 100%. Because fear that you're going to have to have the same conversation all again. Also, just you haven't been around people for so long yeah. that maybe being around new people is just going to, you won't know how to do it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, it, like, became very repetitive. Like, yeah. How are you feeling? I just used to say, like, yeah, I'm fine. Good. 
good, even if I was having the worst day, I was like, I'm good. Yeah, things are good. Family's good. I'm great. Yep, let's just move on. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, this is really depressing. From there as well, my defibrillator started shocking me. So um, that essentially means that my heart would go into such chaotic rhythm that, again, my body just would not be able to keep up. And if I did not have a defibrillator, this would be another cardiac arrest. And so my defibrillator started shocking me again, just like the whole fainting thing, once every blue moon. And then it started happening very frequently. And so from that, I got very bad anxiety, like crippling, did not leave the house for years anxiety. I remember you saying that you couldn't even go to your letterbox. Yeah, so I went to my letterbox. I remember like I heard the postie. And I was like, Mum, I got it. I'll go get the letters. And I fainted on the grass. Oh, my God. Just from, like, anxiety from being out of my comfort zone. Like, literally, from being, instead of being in my room, I was in my front yard. And that gave me so much anxiety that my body literally was like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, obviously, when that would happen, I didn't want to leave. <clears throat> I didn't want to go anywhere. My friends would be like, all right, just come over then. I was like, no, if you want to see me, you come to my house. Yeah. So, like, it just got ridiculous. I started fainting in the shower. I started having panic attacks. It was just, it was, yeah, it was, it was really bad. Yeah, so that escalated. Um, And then in, that kind of went on for seven years. So, from 2010 to my defibrillator, to, you know, me getting the defibrillator, finding out I had a heart condition, taking medication, um, that was pretty steady until 2017, things started escalating, my defibrillator was shocking me a lot more, started to feel a little bit off again, something just was not quite right. But you, like, you also went to Melbourne between then, and that was, like, you did that, did you do that as, like, a shock to the system? Like, whatever you were doing wasn't working, so time to just do something completely ridiculous. A hundred percent. So I, like I said, I just felt smothered. Yeah. And one of my best friends was like, I'm moving to Melbourne, you know, I'm really excited about the move, and, you know, she helped me so much in this thing. Yeah. And so having her leave, also just like having a friend move away, I was like, no, what am I going to do without you? Yeah. And she was huge in my recovery and being so understanding, helping me deal with all this stuff. And so I honestly just felt like I would have been really lost without her. Yeah. And her boyfriend at the time was also a really good friend of mine. And I just thought I'd missed them a lot. Yeah. And so what I did was I thought, you know what, this is going to be a really good opportunity to step out of my comfort zone yeah and I'm gonna fly to Melbourne alone to visit them so I did that slowly slowly oh I would take like a Xanax and go on the plane and I remember I would talk to my sister up until we would leave up until like you know the plane would fly and then I'd call her the second that I would land because I just needed that comfort yeah And then I did that once, I did that twice, I did that three times, kind of effortlessly. And I was like, hang on a second, maybe it's Adelaide that is causing my anxiety. Yeah. And so at this point, my friend was like, oi, just move here. Like, I feel, just do it. Just come here for three months and see how you go. And if worse comes to worse, just go home. Yeah. It's not a big deal. 
And so I was like, no, nah, nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too scary. Nah, I'm not ready. Massive change, especially huge. With like the condition that your body was in. Well, it's but... also like, I can't go get the letters from my letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can move into state by myself. Like, no, 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 no. My brain. The busiest city in yeah, yeah. My brain was like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember. I flew home. We had that conversation. Me and her, it was just like a very like kind of in passing conversation. We didn't yeah. make any concrete plans. She was like, go home, think about it. And if you want to do it, do it. And if not, just come visit. And I remember I flew home to Adelaide and I was in my bed, in my room, you know, in the house that I was living with my parents and my sisters. And again, very, I feel like suffocated is a, is, is a mean word. I didn't feel suffocated. I just felt very stagnant. Like, I was like, I'm so comfortable. I can, bl- I'm going to blink and be 40 years old, still living here and having my parents, you know, be at my beck and call. I need a change. Well, and it must have been the suffocation was in your own mindset. Yeah. And mindset just happened to live in that house, live in that city. You know? I think also my thing was everywhere that I had been shocked by my defibrillator was now a huge cause of my anxiety. Wow, okay, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, so, like, my bathroom scared me. Oh, my God, right, of course. My bedroom, which was once my safe place, scared me. Yeah. The TV room scared me. You know, my friend's house that I'd fainted at scared me. Going in my front yard was scary. So I was like, I think I just need an absolute change. Yeah. So I was in my bed and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to move to Melbourne. Yeah. And I think this was like a Wednesday. And I think, no, I think that was like a Tuesday night. And on the Wednesday, we had like a family dinner. And I was like, guys, I think I'm going to move to Melbourne. And my my family laughed. Like, they literally laughed in my face. They are like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I was like, no, I'm being serious. Like, my friend and I spoke about it. I think I need a change. And being home isn't being it, it's not beneficial like yeah. I need I need a huge change yeah not like shock to the system I need a huge shock to the system yeah um my mum was like hell yeah do your thing that's awesome yeah I mean she was great she was like do it but she was like obviously uh, there's a few conditions that I want yeah. I want you to find a cardiologist when you're there I want awesome. you to find a GP when you're there Blah, 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 blah. Very mum. A very mum way of, you know. But that's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. She was great. I think also my mum, I used to cry to my mum all the time and tell her that I was really upset about, my mental health was just honestly in the toilet yeah. at that point. And so my mum was like, anything that is going to make you feel better, I am a fan of. So like, whatever. You yeah. want to move to Melbourne? See you later. I'll help you pack. Like, let's do this. Let's get your life back on track. Um, cause I was 24 at this point. I yeah. just turned 24. So yeah, even in myself, I was like, no, 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 I, this is something that needs to be done. My dad, I mean, my dad's just an emotional guy. Yeah, as yeah. Is. So I was like, dad, I reckon I'm going to try to go on Saturday. Cause if I dwell on it and yeah. overthink it, I'm not going to go. So do you mind driving me there? And he was like, why do you want to leave? Very, like, my big fat Greek wedding yeah, style. Yeah. Like, Don't do it. It's going to be a mistake. Please, Nikki, just stay where you are. You're comfortable. You're safe here. Please. And I was like, nah, I've made my decision. I'm going. 
And I remember I started packing that night and I called my friend and I was like, I hope that offer still stands because I'm coming. <laughs> like, get my bedroom ready, I'm coming. So um, I made my little sister come for the drive too, Saturday morning. I got up at like five in the morning, packed the, packed the car. Um, my dad drove us to Melbourne and he cried literally for like oh six God. hours. No. And yeah, like he wasn't even like, you're not well, please, I'm scared. He was just like, don't leave me. Like, what am I going to do without you? Oh. Yeah, he was just, oh, what a darling. He's the best. Yeah, he really is just the best. Um, but it was good for him, I think, because he came and he stayed at my friend's house for a couple of nights. So he got to see that I was safe and yeah. I wasn't, you know, living in a crack den. I was like, you know, with friends who he knew very well, I was going to be safe and it was all going to be fine. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that change was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, it just, my anxiety honestly just started to diminish. Like, I gave myself little goals every day. So I was like, all right, today I'm going to catch a tram by myself. Like, you have to remember, a few weeks before, I couldn't walk down the street alone. Yeah. So, like... I was in a state that I didn't even know, living in a suburb that I had no idea where I was. My friends worked full time, so I wasn't even with them. They, you know, they were there at night and in the mornings, but during the days I was alone. No family, no other friends there, so it was huge. And so I would give myself little, um, little things to do every day. So like today you're going to catch a tram by yourself, just to a suburb that you don't know, and you're going to walk around and explore for an hour and yeah. then come home or today you're going to go get lunch in the city you know something like that so I would really make it a thing to really push myself every single day yeah but in saying that if I woke up and didn't feel well I was like no no no, don't push it today you stay home watch tv all day they had a dog and two cats so yeah. like it was the best you know I was obviously I was home by myself but the dog was there and so there was, I always kind of had company in that respect, but, um, so we, um, didn't stay in that house for much longer. We ended up moving to a place called Craigieburn. When I moved there, I noticed a pretty big difference in my health. Okay. Not because of the move or anything, yeah. but, um, I don't know. I think obviously just my body was like, ugh. I'm starting to struggle a bit. Yeah, and I guess now you're starting to feel like home. and that Yeah, was, so was, I was yeah. comfortable. It wasn't by any means like an anxiety thing. It was just very, um, yeah, I don't know, just one of those things. My, my health was just kind of taking a bit of a turn. But it was weird because I didn't let it affect me the way that I did in Adelaide. Yeah. In Adelaide, if I had, you know, if my defibrillator shocked me, that was it. I'm out for the week, I want to sleep for the rest of the day, don't talk to me, I'm in a bad mood, hospital, cardiologist visit, whereas when that happened in Melbourne, sometimes I didn't even tell my family that it happened. Yeah. My mum would call me and my defibrillator would have just shocked me and she was like, how are you Nikki, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm good, what are you doing? Like, I actually didn't feel the need because I, 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 had taken such big steps I was yeah. like it's fine why stress them out I'm fine I'm yeah. not in the hospital like I'm fine and was that a good thing not not talking about it immediately afterwards I think so okay I remember like obviously when we moved house we lived with three new people that I I knew but not well yeah um and I kind of sat them down like on our first night together and I was like I've got a heart condition I have a defibrillator 
I put like my mum's phone number on the fridge and I was like, if, you know, I usually faint, but I usually come to, if I don't, call an ambulance, this is what you have to do, this is my mum's number, if, honestly, if the worst case scenario happens, call her, that's it, like, I also just wanted to feel comfortable in my own home, and made sure everyone was aware of my condition, and all of that, and I did, I felt safe, and I felt fine, they were all great, and so understanding, and if I had an off day, they were cool, let's watch movies today, you know, they were very, very good. It was also good because one of the guys that I was living with also wasn't working. So I always had company. I always felt safe. Um, you know, so that was very, very handy. In that time, I also met Matt. Oh, my goodness. my fiancé. <laughs> um, and I think that as well was, like, the best distraction because yeah. I was, like, in this little love bubble and... So I was like, it doesn't matter if I'm not feeling well. Matt wants to meet for breakfast. So that's it. I'm going for breakfast. So yeah. like, <laughs> and yeah, I feel like when you first meet someone, you're just giddy and yeah. like, nothing's getting in my way. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it was, it was, it was great. But I noticed that my defibrillator was kind of shocking me more and more and something wasn't quite right. So I found a cardiologist. Oh, um, so you didn't already have a cardiologist. So yeah. I had a GP. But yeah, <laughs> that was some pretty solid advice from your mom. Well, <laughs> so I I, t- I did tell her. I didn't keep it a secret. Also, we I was very comfortable with the cardiologist that I had in Adelaide. Yeah, okay. That's so every enough. time I had an appointment, and because I was quite stable. I would fly home for my cardiologist appointment, okay, which was sense. like once every six months, unless I had an issue yeah. in which I would just go to the hospital anyway. Yeah. Um, but at this time, when we moved, I noticed quite a big change in my health. And so I thought I'm going to get a referral from my Adelaide cardiologist, who I really trust, to refer me to someone in Melbourne that he trusts and that he can kind of also relay information about my history and stuff. So that's what I did. So that also made me feel much better. And he was good with defibrillators. So he could check my defibrillator, um, make sure my battery life was all good and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I felt safe, but something was definitely up. Yeah. My health was kind of definitely taking a turn. I definitely felt like something was up. At this point, Matt and I lived with one of our best friends, Kayla, yeah. and my heart was honestly just in shambles. I was getting shocked all the time. I remember I got shocked three times in one day, and I was by myself. Oh, my God. Kayla was at work. Matt had just left for work, and I called him, and I was like, you need to come home now. I honestly think I'm dying. Yeah. Like, this is it. Oh my god. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. I didn't yeah. tell my mum or anyone. It was yeah. the day before my birthday. So it was That's the thirtieth of March, of course. Classic Nicole. <laughs> it was the thirtieth of March. Um, Matt drove me he I remember he I called him and I was like, Something's wrong and he caught and he yelled out to his boss like, I'm leaving and he ran out. Oh my god. And he drove me to the hospital and I was admitted. 
and the doctor was like, I want you to change this medication and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I don't know you. I'm not comfortable with you. I'm not changing my meds. I've been yeah. on these medications for ages. I'm not doing that. That's awesome that you had the confidence to, like, trust in, like, the relationship they had with your doctor in Adelaide that you didn't immediately just be like, oh, well, whatever you say, you know, like. I was very, and I mean, I still am, very anal about my medication. Yeah. That is something that I take very seriously. Yeah. And I also know, obviously, from experience from when I was 20 and this stuff first happened, when you change your medication, it's a huge thing and, like, impacts your body so ridiculously, you know. Like, I remember when I first went on medication, I couldn't, I couldn't walk to the toilet without my mum helping me. Like, yeah. I was so dizzy and lightheaded and your blood pressure drops. And so I said, like, I don't want to do this unless I'm living in Adelaide at home. Yeah. And also with a doctor that I know and that I trust. And who's seen you go through so many Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, don't get me wrong, I totally respect the hospital doctors, but you're not my doctor. Yeah. So, like, for me, you've known me, you've read my chart, you've known me for five seconds, and you're telling me to get off all the medication that I'm on and to change it? Not happening. Yeah, I mean, I think that takes a lot, though, because I don't, I don't know if in the same position I would have done the same thing. I, I feel like, you know, there's this, like, um, you know, this thing that where you feel like you should just trust what you're being told from, yeah. you know, from the professional, you know? And like, oh, absolutely. So. And, I mean, if this had happened without me having a history, then, yeah, yeah I would have listened. Yeah. But... I know my body and I trust my doctor. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, and I'd had this doctor at this point, it was like six or seven years. No, yeah. actually, no. It would have been about four or five years at this point. Yeah, ages. So, yeah. So, like, I had a relationship with this doctor that I, and I trusted him and so did my family. So, I thought, I can't change because that, that's a huge, and it's also a lot for Matt to handle and for Kayla to handle as well, me being sick the whole time, getting used to new meds, I, was, I just was not ready, and also, like, mentally ready for yeah. that either. Would somebody have needed to be home with you at all times while you're trying the new medication? I would say so. Yeah, okay. I mean, I know the side effects from the medication that I first was on. Like I said, living with my parents, someone was always home, my mum took time off work, she was showering me because I was just so dizzy, I couldn't see in front of me, so, like, I needed someone to be there all the time, but I can't put that kind of responsibility on number one, Matt, who I, we were together maybe about a year at this point. Yeah. Or my friend. It's like, which one do I tell not to go to work and miss out on money for my benefit? You know, that's not cool. Like that's no. So I said, no, I met up with my cardiologist in Melbourne, the Melbourne one. Um, and he was kind of like, I do think that a medication change is in order but if you're not comfortable do it when you're home yeah that was kind of a very big you know that was a very big thing for me to say to Matt I think I want to move home yeah I'm not feeling like myself I feel like my health is deteriorating I don't want to put this responsibility on you I think it's time to move home to be continued in episode two What led to Nicole's transplant, part two?